Kate Creamer is the CRM Marketing Manager at Framer, which is a prototyping tool for web designers and developers. Kate's done a lot of work talking about emotional intelligence in email. She keynoted all three Litmus Lives last year. And in this episode, we're talking about why it's important to actually think about the audience rather than just what we need as marketers. This is Email Talk, the podcast for email geeks by email geeks about how to be a better email geek. I'm Elliot Ross from Action Rocket and Taxi for Email, and I'm your host. So, Kate, so welcome. So what we want to do is kick these off. If you could tell us three things about you, one of them is going to be made up, and then we will guess at the end which one is the lie? Yes. Okay. Um, fact slash fiction. Number one, I am a classically trained tuba player. Okay. Number two, I speak five romance languages. <laughs> and number three, I worked on a deer farm in New Zealand. I don't know. See, I know you, right? And I still don't know. Hmm. I'm going to think I, about that. Oh, good. Good. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. <laughs> cool. Well, so we'll on that bombshell, we will come back to that later. Cool. So, um, yeah, so welcome. So obviously I know you from various things um, and conferences and things like that. Um, but what I wanted to hear from you, because we've never actually really talked about this, is everyone has this kind of different origin story in email, right? Like no one studies email at university or anything like that. They just kind of end up doing it. Truly. And I wanted to hear what that is for you, because I don't think I've ever heard. Like, I, I kind of see you now and I see you talk about doing really good stuff in email. And you obviously know a lot of know a lot of how it should be done. But I'm really intrigued about how you got there. Yeah, definitely. So I um, got my degree in the arts and absolutely had no intention of getting into marketing or anything even tangentially related. But while I was in college, I entered this like outdoor gear giveaway on Facebook, just some arbitrary giveaway to get a bunch of hammock and camping gear. I won the giveaway and accidentally got in touch with the agency running it, who happened to be based out of Colorado. And they, we were just going back and forth talking about uh, where they would ship all this gear that I won. And I just jokingly said, hey, do you have any jobs in Colorado? And they said, we actually need a marketing intern. Would you be willing to help remotely? <laughs> so I accidentally got into marketing, just starting out doing like WordPress, uh, backend stuff, social media, really just kind of an arbitrary mix of everything. That turned into uh, my first big girl job at a marketing agency. It was automotive, digital marketing, uh, where I kind of learned all of the pieces of digital except for email. <laughs> and then when I finally actually made my way out to Colorado with uh, Make Music, I came on as their digital marketing manager and email was the only thing that I hadn't done. And for the longest time, I actually told my boss, like she was, she was having me run our email promotions with very little, um, very little information about how it was done or how to do it the right way. Uh, the team had totally changed, so we were both kind of flying blind together. And as we got into it, she kept telling me, she was like, hey, you're really good at this. Um, I think you should. this should be the thing that you own. And I think I spent 
probably the better part of a year just telling her, no, 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 I don't want that. Email's a dead end. Like, email's wildly unsexy. Please don't put me there. I mean, email is dead. We know that. It's It's been dead forever. I don't know why anybody <laughs> sends emails anymore. Um, <laughs> but yeah, she, uh, she insisted that I really give it a shot. And it wasn't until I went to my first litmus conference that finally it clicked. I realized there was a community. I decided that this was the thing that I loved um, and saw really what you could do with it. So from then on, it was kind of like history was made. I knew wow. how much I loved it. Which litmus was that? Was that... <laughs> 2017 maybe no. i guess 18 no no it was earlier than that it must have been either 2015 or 2016 that's cool either um i missed a couple then so i don't know which one, <laughs> which one it would have been was that like a, a boston one uh that was the first one i went to was san francisco where funny enough actually the first human being that i met at the conference was of course logan baird <laughs> Um, and then, you know, getting to see him speak and getting to know him as a friend, like that definitely helped me geek out about what I was doing. Wow. So we have Logan to, to thank here. Yep. <laughs> wow. Imagine. <laughs> Logan's cool. I know. Logan. um, Logan's, Logan's just the best. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's super interesting. So you ended up kind of falling into it, but also didn't really want to do it. What, what made you really change your mind? I think it was a, a combination of absolutely hating the ESP I was working with and then finding the hacks to make it work well. So getting a lot of information from other people about how they were running marketing automation with these platforms that did actually, that were built for automation. And then taking that back to work in Colorado and basically sitting down at my desk and being like, man, this ESP is not built for what I want it to do. <laughs> like, how do I kick it into submission? And I ended up just writing a lot of SQL and um, working a lot with our data team and our sales team and doing a lot of kind of like gritty, messy, ugly work. And then seeing the results from that was the big reward because I think everything else in marketing is relatively, like, it's relatively straightforward in that the tools are built really well for their functions and there's so much involved in email that it's hard for tools to do anything um, mm. and much less everything. Right. right so yeah. being able to kick that into submission and see it work was kind of the aha moment for me. So which, uh, which ESP was that? Of course, of course it was. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, um, so what's interesting there is, um, so you, so you mentioned like SQL and things like that, right? Or do you say SQL or SQL? Anyway. I say SQL. Okay. But... <laughs> do you say GIF or GIF? Or is this going to be... Oh, I say GIF for okay. sure. I refuse to be drawn on the subject. <laughs> so um, did you go into it as a code person being like, I want to do code. And then, so like now, and I've seen you do talks around what good email is in general, right? Like very strategic, very big thought um, direction led ideas. Is that where you've always been at and you were kind of doing code because you wanted to make it happen or is it, um, you were a coder and then you ended up being like, Oh, actually there's a bigger piece to this. <laughs> That's a really good way to look at it. I, so I started coding when I was in maybe middle school or high school. 
I it's because I wanted to customize my Zanga templates uh, <laughs> naturally. So I had I had this this is a really nerdy thing to say. I had this like baby blue little um, Zanga with a zebra on the bottom, and I remember just trying and trying and trying with the HTML to get that template to work for my <laughs> my little blog, and I was so excited when it worked. Um, so I had always kind of like. I and I wrote a paper I think on like funny like file hacky workarounds for some weird like dog software when I was in sixth or seventh grade. So I've always kind of geeked out on the technical side of things, mm. but my work experience was a lot more strategic from the start. So I was working with clients to figure out what the best strategy would be. I did a lot of SEO and PPC, so that was a little more technical, but it was very much strategy from a work perspective and like very technical dev heavy from a personal perspective. So it's like the sort of yin and, yin and yang, I suppose. Definitely. That's, uh, <laughs> that's interesting. Like quite often people kind of specialize on one and I think being willing to roll your sleeves up and get involved on, on either side, to be honest, is, is really like a, a sort of endearing quality in a person. Like you, you've really got to understand both sides of it i think to be oh bless you Elliot. <laughs> it's it's fun it's the reason that i like it so much is that it gives me a brain break one way or the other like yeah. if i come into work and i've been working on strategy non-stop and i just my brain can't do it anymore it's really easy for me then to go back and just say okay i'm gonna spend an hour or two with our templates because i'm sure there's stuff we can clean up or make better and for me, being able to sit down and just throw my headphones on and code for a couple of hours is like a definitely welcome reset, especially these days. Mm, yes, in in current times, <laughs> <laughs> whatever they might be. I um, know. Yeah. <laughs> um, cool. It's interesting you said that your one of your first kind of exposures to code was kind of hacking, like a sort of social network, that kind of stuff, like you know, or even just hacking WordPress <laughs> and, you know, different tools. Like, I wonder how much of that now, if you're coming into the world of code now, is still kind of there. Like, I I had a similar thing with GeoCities in, like, 97 or something. Like, that's yes. how I learned how to do HTML. And then there was another wave of people with, like, um, MySpace in whenever uh -huh. that was, the middle of, you know, 2000s. And now, what do you do? You, like, you sign up for Snapchat. <laughs> like, there's no Honestly. HTML there. There's no code. That's what's, it, it completely baffles me because you, you see that all the time, how really young people are getting into it now. And honestly, if I look back at my, it seemed like my pathway, and I'm sure you feel the same way, is was so clear because that was really the only way to do it at the time. Mm. And now there are so many options, but you have to go digging for those options because nothing is really built that way by default. Yeah. And it's like, it's nothing forces you to do it, right? Like you've got to, it's there, it's all there, there's courses and things you can learn more than ever but there's nothing that gives you the kind of almost peer pressure to be yeah. like I'm, I'm gonna update my myspace so that i look better you know i look cool to my friends or whatever like there's none of that impetus really? <laughs> <laughs> maybe we should build that that would be uh, yeah, like peer a peer pressure for coders <laughs> yeah like a social network that's intentionally sort of a bit rubbish would be pretty cool <laughs> i think this is your next big idea yeah <laughs> we'll get some time to do that one day <laughs> Cool. So I want to talk to you a bit about your talk that you've done. So I did like a whole bunch of conferences last year and, and we crossed paths three or four times, maybe. Yeah, it was awesome. It was a lot. Then we had a lot of, uh, there was a lot of dinner. <laughs> <laughs> it was so much fun. A lot of food. I remember in Vegas, we had that, there was a meal that was, uh, you would have to eat it at midnight because there was more than 2000 calories. Yes. 
<laughs> That's right. I forgot about that. I think the, the, the fries maybe were the lowest calorie thing on the menu and those were atrocious. <laughs> that is <laughs> classic <laughs> Vegas. Um, <laughs> so in your talk, you were, you were telling the story of um, kind of how you learned to consider the audience, I suppose. Yeah. And what I'm intrigued there is where you think marketers should be. Like there's, there's quite often talk of like, you know, we talk about best practice and things like that, but quite often the best practice and what we can legally do are pretty much a, a circle in the Venn diagram, right? Yes. Um, <laughs> and, and really, if you look at kind of successful brands, they're doing something more than that. So what I wanted to get was your kind of thoughts on that. Like, what is it that kind of drove you to go above and beyond with that kind of stuff? It's just because I think I have a hard time separating my work from my personal life. It's when I get really invested in something, I'm invested in it both professionally and personally. And so I don't do the things that I think a lot of other marketers do that are inherently good things. So like, saving emails and analyzing like what about them works it's i just kind of like i don't know i read my emails like a consumer <laughs> and like a human and i as i'm going through them of course i'm thinking from an email marketer perspective sometimes i'll see like oh i really like that gif or that's a really interesting way that they wrote this sentence but i'm not saving things and trying to be front of the pack i'm just trying to understand what works for me and why it works and mm. then Obviously, my perspective is not the same as everyone else's. So just turning that on its head and anytime I'm sending a message out, really considering, okay, the person who's getting this, how does this message fit into their lives? Like, they don't care about it as much as I do. They, I may have worked on this email for two weeks. They may read it for three seconds if I'm lucky. Mm. And so what do I really want them to get from that? And it's a service perspective instead of a sales perspective. Like, what can I do to help? And how is this message adding value to their lives? This episode of Email Talk is sponsored by Taxi for Email. If you're an email marketer, you need Taxi. We help everyone on your team make their best email. Designers and developers build awesome email design systems with Taxi. They build out their best quality HTML, and then they have precise control over how it's used by the content writers. So you can give them the flexibility they need whilst keeping everything on brand and keeping your code intact. Copywriters in Taxi can focus on the content and not on the code. So they write directly into the email and they create everything in context. That means they create better quality content, engages people more, and ultimately gets better results out of the channel. If you're a marketer, you can dig into things like segmentation, personalization, you can manage link tracking, you can make multiple versions of things. And most importantly, you can see what everyone on the team is doing and help them along their way. Then once you're done, you can sync Taxi with whichever platform you use to send your email. If that sounds good, we'd love to show you more. Go to taxiforemail.com and hit request a demo so we can have a chat about how Taxi can help your team create their best email. That idea of like, we see our work a lot more than everyone else is so obvious that you just don't consider it, right? Yeah, it's so hard too, because people like, especially people who aren't marketers, they, I think a common conversation with teams that they'll have is everybody gets together and they say, well, we work so hard on this. So we want to tell the entire story about every single facet and 
all of the features and all of the things that we've done and all of the buttons you can press. And at the end of the day, the value gets lost because you're so invested in talking about yourself that you forget how it's going to be received. Mm. I think, I guess that's where brands go wrong quite often, right? Like they, they're too inward looking, I guess, or they're too even inward looking specifically to the project. Definitely. It's, it's a totally human thing too. I mean, everybody cares primarily about themselves. Mm. And so it's hard to take yourself out of that, but just by like asking the questions of where might people be when they read this, how might they feel, what, like, what are the different edge cases or, um, scenarios that somebody might be in that could cause them to perceive the email in a different way that you might. That's just really interesting. So if you ever been like working on a project, or whatever, and you've been trying to push an angle and then there's someone else trying to push a different angle, one that's perhaps more, uh, immediately business driven to use a polite sure. phrase. <laughs> yeah. How do you find that? Like, how do you, how, how do you get people to come around? I guess. So that's definitely a challenge I've had. Yeah, that's asking how you measure things obviously helps. But when somebody is trying to say, okay, well, we need to make a bunch of sales tomorrow. So we're going to highlight that this is 50% off and say it 42 times in the copy. Like (laughs) that's really, it's kind of hard to get buy-in immediately from that because people don't see the long-term effects that that has on a relationship. So I like to think of it as, and you've heard this a thousand times, but I like to think of it as a dinner party where like the way that your messaging comes across, like you can think of yourself as the guy standing up at the end of the table at a dinner party. And if you're consistently the person standing up and shouting about yourself, then eventually everyone's going to just tune out and they're not going to want to be at the party. But if you instead can spend most of the party sitting and listening and trying to figure out what people want and what they need and interjecting when it's helpful and you're actually giving them something of value, then you have this opportunity to build a better relationship long-term. So getting back to the question that those conversations can be particularly challenging because Mm. a lot of people want immediate results. And the way that I've found that's most helpful to help them change their thinking is point out brands that do have really, really good relationships with their customers um, and good like brand standards and brands that people tend to look up to and respect and go through their messaging with your team and kind of look at, okay, what are the patterns that you see here? Are they leaning mostly on urgency and discounts or are they leaning mostly on value and support and service, things like that? Um, and you tend to see patterns. So pointing to other people can be really helpful there. And then if that doesn't get the message across, you can always do holdout groups. So AB testing, okay, if we're going to put these, I don't know, 10,000 people in a high value, like super urgent campaign, let's also do a holdout group of people who don't get those sorts of messages and commit to it for long enough that you can get statistical significance in your tests because one message may show that urgency and fear tactics are good for like the immediate boost in revenue. But generally what you see is over time that those relationships tend to show less and less value if you're constantly leaning on those rather than building actual relationships. 
Yeah, I've definitely seen that, especially, yeah, that kind of short-termism. It almost breeds the mentality that people will never want to pay, like, full price. Yeah, Which yeah, is exactly. really detrimental if you're not careful. <laughs> that's interesting. I think the, the dinner party stuff is, like, that's so true. Like, the there's that phrase, like, you have two ears and one mouth, right? Yes. Um, <laughs> so I like that. <laughs> you should do twice as much listening, I guess. Truly. So I was going to talk about, like how brands get this wrong and I think I guess sometimes systematically they, they get it wrong and perhaps it's a, an ownership of the channel and that kind of thing and all, all short termism but how do brands get it wrong like what what is it that leads to you know like I've, I look in my inbox I look in my inbox this morning and, and I can see emails and I'm just like oh come on guys this could be better <laughs> like what, what do you think it is that drives people to do that I don't think it's necessarily conscious you know what I mean no definitely not uh, I think a lot of it is cultural and I feel reasonably comfortable saying this, um, <laughs> three months, three months into, uh, a move to Europe. But one big thing that I've noticed is the difference between American and European culture in business is, um, the way that I think Europe gets it right is that not everything is a fire all the time. <laughs> That's <laughs> and, really interesting. At least, at least in my experience at Framer anyway, I could be totally off base, but I think when you have a company culture of, Hey, we're all in this together, good work takes time and we have a shared goal. I think that definitely influences the messages that are coming out of your marketing team. So, um, you know, I've, I've consulted with companies before and I've been at companies before where everything that we work on has to happen yesterday. And that's a really stressful environment to be in for, for the individual, first of all. But second of all, like if, if you're constantly feeling this urgency, that's going to come through in your messages. So like buy now, or this is your last chance to save or things like that. And that's not to say that you can't use that messaging, but if you're, if you're feeling that all the time, you're probably going to use that messaging all the time. And when you use that messaging all the time, people start to discredit what you're actually saying. So I I would... (laughs) I've never looked at it like that, but that's so true, right? Like the company culture comes out in in your decisions as a marketer all the time, like once you see that. Yeah, for sure. It's like, it's impossible not to let part of you bleed into what you're writing and what you're creating. So Mm. I am so grateful to be at a place where, you know, everybody has a, a shared vision and we know that, um, good work really takes time. And so it's important for us to communicate that to our customers. And, you know, even if people are waiting on things or they're running into issues or they need some help with something, it's a lot easier for us to take that mindset and say, Hey, we got you. Like, here's what we can do to help. Don't worry. And one thing that I've just found personally and professionally is that if you act like everything is cool, lots of the people around you will act like everything is cool. So I think it's this, <laughs> like, it's whatever you, you generate, whatever you breed like that, actually it's, it's totally contagious. So your attitude, your writing, your creativity, that will breed more of the same outside yourself. So if you're not conscious of how you're feeling about a situation or how you're working with your team, like take that second to reset because it absolutely comes out in your work. So you like, he's saying that you are an influencer. <laughs> so where, where we're at now <laughs> yeah yep uh-huh low-key influence i'm gonna look on your instagram and it's gonna say what was it not everything is a fire you're gonna have that on a on a sunset 
Perfect. I may do a watercolor of that tonight. <laughs> Perfect. That would be awesome. <laughs> um, cool. That that is really interesting. Like the idea of um, yeah, the, the the company culture coming out into into your work, and also just the. Do you find? I mean, obviously, like you work somewhere, so I don't want to get you fired or anything but how do you find productivity in that environment where uh, yeah as you said not everything is a fire oh my god I'm a thousand times more productive when when it's easy for me to take the space to prioritize what actually matters and what makes a bigger impact so this this actually comes back to agile mentality Mm. where you basically do work in batches so start a project end a project and then move on to the next thing Right. And what that allows your brain to do. Um, so Paul area and I were actually just talking about this yesterday mm. and we were talking about how he uses the toggle app to track his productivity at different times of the day. And we were talking about just the idea of task switching and how that can impact your work. Yeah. And task switching is a massive impact. Yeah. It's a huge time suck. And when everything is a fire always, and you have this company culture of, oh my gosh, we need to get this done yesterday, then you're constantly having to task switch because you're constantly having to basically like ship these tiny little things. And so that massively decreases your productivity. Um, And of course, it's not a great environment to work in. But on the other hand, when you have a team who's calm and collected and invested in in success together, you have the ability to give your brain the space to start a task and a task and then kind of regroup, move on to the next thing and prioritize the things that actually make the difference for the business. Wow. Yeah. That sounds, uh, <laughs> sounds ideal. <laughs> I want to work where you work. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Well, I'm not a CEO. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I guess maybe the CEO role is, is, is different a little. I don't yeah, know. I don't, yeah. I don't think it lends itself as much to agile as other roles might. Yeah, I mean, we've been looking at it. So obviously, like the dev team work in an agile way. um, And we've tried to at least take some of the values into the other teams. And it works pretty well. The kind of two-week sprint model sometimes doesn't work for, you know, the the sales guys. We can't say, well, (laughs) we're booking a demo in three weeks. Can you get your story together? Like, (laughs) that's that's not how things work. But I think agile has a lot of value that, that email marketers can dig into. Definitely. Especially in a a discipline where so much stuff is last minute sometimes necessarily last minute because the world has changed or you know the market's changed or whatever and you do have to get stuff out quickly yeah um, which you know kind of sometimes moves you out of that concentrate on one thing and get it done and then move on to the next thing sort of approach but nevertheless it's so key to at least have some of those values if you even if you do end up doing emergency work. Yeah, Yeah, we're all human. Like it's never going to work perfectly, but if you can always have a thing to an ideal state to come back to, then it makes it easy to kind of regroup periodically. Yeah, absolutely. Huh. Wow. Well, that's a, maybe (laughs) I I will steal some more of your time. We could talk a bit more about agile at some point. That could be pretty cool. Like what what does agile look like for email geeks? That could be a, we could talk about that. (laughs) I love it. Um, (laughs) Cool. Um, so that's really useful. So thanks for that. Um, what I wanted to talk about just to kind of finish up really is what do you do? <laughs> you know, when you hear an interview with someone, when someone says like, where do you get your big ideas from? Like, <laughs> it's like the laziest interview question. Uh, 
Um, but how do you, I guess, get exposed to new ideas, right? Because it's so easy to get the kind of tunnel vision and, and look into, you know, I'm focusing on this and that's it. My headphones are on and I'm, I'm not taking in new ideas. Like, how do you make sure that, I guess, you uh, you get ideas to improve and things like that? Mm, yeah, that's that's a tricky one. And I often actually struggle with imposter syndrome about this because I see so many developers coming up with like brilliant, brilliant ideas. I mean, like Jay Oram, obviously, and <laughs> Mark Robbins and just the developers um, and, and Tomlin who are constantly coming up with these incredible ideas. And I look at that stuff and I'm like, but how, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> how do you even take the time to dig through this stuff and understand how it works and come up with new solutions? Um, but for me, just as like a, a pretty creative person, I tend to lean towards the arts, um, just in my personal life. I think I get most of my ideas from a lot of books on human psychology okay. and and animal psychology for whatever that's worth. I know they're not reading emails, but <laughs> some of them do. The, uh, I... <laughs> the weasel loves an email. That's oh no, you've <laughs> given me a terrible idea. Okay, so but yeah, like uh, books about psychology and just how people work because email is inherently a really creative and very personal communication channel. So a lot of the things are born out of just a necessity for how do I communicate this point differently or how can I try this different creative or artistic concept differently? And then I tend to, with that, like that's the stuff that really gets me thinking and like the segmentation and behavioral automation, that stuff is fascinating to me. So just having chats with my data team and different teams in the company to figure out what they think people are doing and what we could do to be helpful. That stuff is really inspiring to me. And then being able to take that and look at some of the great uh, development work that Mm. other people in the space are doing and just kind of like throw it all together and see what I can do. Just do like the, I don't know, the Muppet hands on the keyboard, just (laughs) (laughs) typing it all out, just figuring out what's possible and playing around with things until something clicks you absolutely got to look outside right yeah because you can't if you look inside of what's happening in email you you'll just do what someone else has done already exactly and there are so many times that i look at somebody else's email or their code and i'm like i don't know what that means and i don't want to invest the time to figure it out but (laughs) like if i can look at the little bits and pieces and understand what they were trying to achieve with the tiny little pieces then it's easy for me to take those like itty bitty lego blocks and turn them into my own thing love that i love our, our community is really good at that as well like uh yesterday i was doing a email geek uh, coding workshop and oh nice um i lent into so much the stuff that mark robbins has been doing at the moment about um let me try and find his website actually i'll, I'll put it in the on the on the and the link in the, the podcast thing so he's made a site where it's basically here's the code you need to start off so it's already got all the fixes you need like a sort of boilerplate oh i love it and it's so good and i was talking you know there's sort of people that i was i was uh sort of teaching this workshop and i was like look you know i can teach you how to code today but if things change tomorrow you're kind of on your own so exactly <laughs> so here's where to stay up to date you know and it's so good that our community is interested in that you see that drop out of other communities sometimes yeah one of the things that i i love and i've had this experience because i've been in in three different jobs relatively recently and this happens uh with every company i'm convinced is that an email developer will come into a company 
and then explain like, okay, email is different and weird and here's why. And the designers, fortunately, all the designers and developers I've worked with have all been very understanding. Um, but I just had this conversation, um, last week with one of our amazing designers at Framer and we were trying to get something to work nicely in dark mode. Right. And, and we were talking through it. I explained the constraints. He started coding for it. And then as we started working out the kinks with just the particular individual clients, he came back to me and he was like, Kate, why can't we have nice things? <laughs> and it's just, it, those conversations are actually really exciting for me because it shows the value of having the skills and the knowledge and being able to take that into email development, knowing that it's, it's a hard thing to do, Yeah. but like finding all the little bits and pieces that make it work are really fun for me. I enjoy it. Yeah. We, we can have nice things. It's just that someone might chuck them on the floor every so often, <laughs> which, uh, yeah, is, is where the fun comes in. That's true. <laughs> okay, cool. So thank you so much for, for joining us. I just wanted to yeah, say thank you and thank you for putting up for me. Of course. As we went for many dinners in the last year when we were allowed out. <laughs> Always, Elliot. <laughs> we can't we can't now and I'm I'm not doing any social Zoom stuff because It's always awkward. <laughs> I love it. Have you seen the people doing that kind of like, hey, we're having a party in a pub on Zoom? It's like, come on guys. Yes. <laughs> it's so weird. although Mark so Mark Robbins actually shared this amazing uh, idea that he had for taking a screenshot of your coworkers' uh, Zoom backgrounds when they get up from their desks <laughs> and then using that as your own Zoom background. I thought that was brilliant. I'm going to try that. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So where can people um, keep up to date with you, get hold of you, uh, come and annoy you on the internet, that kind of stuff? Yeah, for sure. Uh, Twitter is usually the fastest way to get a hold of me. Um, so that, I believe, is just Kate Kramer. Uh, it's K A I T creamer, like what you put in your coffee. And uh, then I've got some questions, but we'll talk about <laughs> that another day. <laughs> um, Instagram, if you're interested is mostly like dog and nature and art pics, but that's wandering Kate. Um, my website is wanderingkate.com. And then of course you can always pop over to framer.com to see some of the cool stuff that I and my team are working on. Awesome. And we should sign up for your emails, right? Yeah, sign up for him. Okay, and to finish, the cliffhanger that we've been all waiting for. So you said you speak five romance languages, worked on a deer farm in New Zealand, or classically trained tuba player. Yeah. Now, you see, the problem is, I know I know how all <laughs> three of these could be true. But also, see, my question is, I know you worked on a farm, but whether it's a deer farm... Mm-hmm. And whether tuba, tuba, that's like the big. It's the big one, yeah. The big one, yeah. It's good that you're in Europe. <laughs> I feel like that's a European instrument. Like if you go to a, a German square that in a in a town, that's where the tubas are. Oh, I'd fit right in. And that's the <laughs> best, for sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm going to say the languages, five Romance languages, just because I don't even know what those are. I mean, I do. Well obviously. done, you. I, I obviously know what they are. <laughs> However, I don't even know if there are five romance languages. <laughs> is that bad? No, I. Uh, is that I like sexting is one? Um. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, no, I, I'm desperately trying to learn Dutch. Um, uh, okay, but that's yeah, and I speak Spanish poorly, but that's the best I got. Uh, uh. So no, only like <laughs> reasonably efficient at English, 
<laughs> American English. Uh, Let's not get yeah. ahead of ourselves. Yeah, that's true. Z's <laughs> instead of S's. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Well, we've got we've got lots of time on our hands now, so there's time for learning, I guess. Yeah. No time. No time like the present, I guess. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Thanks, Kate. That's awesome. Thanks, Elliot. Thank you so much to Kate for joining us. We've got lots more to come on Email Talk. You can find us on your favourite podcast player and also on emailtalk.co. There's two things you can do to help us. If you can, we'd love you to leave a review or a rating on iTunes. And even if you don't have iTunes, we'd love you just to share this podcast with your colleagues, anyone you know who is interested in email. See you next time on Email Talk.